we have a very interesting position, probably the most interesting. Although each time I look at, you can look at any of these and just say like, man, it, it gets it gets it gets it gets real fun. But shooting guard, maybe it's fun because half of them aren't going to make the top one hundred. Maybe it's maybe it's fun because uh, it's just a strange position, and the greatest player of all time belongs at the top of it. Are we cool with Michael Jordan as the best shooting guard ever? I don't know. There's some some pretty heat hot heat out there. I mean, have you seen Ray Allen's game six shot? Great shot. <laughs> Has Jordan ever hit a shot like that? Don't think so. <laughs> yeah, I no. I don't think so. Can, can we just get the obvious ones out of the way? Sure. Jordan one, Kobe Jordan. two, Wade three. Wade three. I think that's that's where the mm, Harden four. That's where the the obviousness stops. There might be a little debate between Harden and Iverson. Um, I've done it. Five. I've been there. I've argued Iverson over Harden on a few a few uh, occasions, but honestly, what that came down to is Harden is a bitch and doesn't try the whole time. That's kind of my argument, and I, that's I'm not gonna I'm not gonna remake that argument. And I think it was a bad argument at the time. Sure. Harden won one MVP and then had three other second place finishes in a four year span. And it might even be more impressive than that. I'm just going off memory here. But the Harden era and Harden brand basketball is just such a a high point for the position um, that I I think you got to have him over Iverson. Also, like we can complain about Harden quitting on teams. Iverson didn't not quit on teams. Like, we wouldn't just say that. He's not a beacon of stability either. But what I want to ask you is, because I think last week when Dylan had asked us about the shooting guard position, we both had Iverson at five. But since then, I've kind of been riding a George Gervin train. Okay, lay it out. Gervin, I think think you'll love this because we just talked about how difficult that era is right after the merger. 77 to 82, George Gervin is first team on NBA every single year. Mm Mm-hmm. And second in MVP voting, the year Walton wins it. And he should have won that. He should have won it. Oh, 100%. Sorry, it's 78 to 82. But he is second team on NBA in 77 and 83. So you're looking at the best shooting guard or the second best shooting guard in the league every year for seven straight years, four scoring titles, um, as well as two all ABA second teams or what's that for, for what that's worth. But he also is... Uh, a little quite a bit younger at the time and just the 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 pure production and if i remember correctly even though his playoff resume isn't great he still has won more playoff games than alan iverson is that true i will tell you george gervin has won 34 and i believe alan iverson has won 30 yeah so yes that is true even with the finals run i think people tend to get lost in that finals run and think that iverson was kind of always in the playoffs but he really wasn't no, he has that one like miracle sprint of a year to get to the to the Eastern Conference or to get to the the finals, and then other than that, he's got like a lot of first or second round exits. Um, which you could say the same of Gervin, but the thing is, there were only a couple of rounds in the playoffs at the time, so it's it's a little bit different. Yeah, looking looking at it, Gervin lost in seven four times. He is he's four wins away from being seven and nine in the playoffs in playoff series instead of three and 13. He also gets another couple of extra series in there, which is, is kind of important in my mind because like people get really caught up in playoff records. And I think the six and O crowd is one of the dumbest crowds ever because the second most impressive thing a team can do beyond winning the championship is making the finals. And the third most impressive thing that they can do is making the conference finals and like making something and losing is better than not making it at all. That's very true. I'm still just hard pressed 
what Iverson did as a small guard, maybe the emotional side's getting to me. You know, that commercial of him sitting on the doctor's office and it's just like pointing out all of his injuries. Um, the, the man was a warrior. The man was a champion. Um, his Nuggets years are underrated. He didn't have the results in Detroit that I would have liked, but Iverson was was a really elite. School. I can't I can't articulate the case. So maybe that does mean in it's Gervin, but Gervin's a better scorer than Iverson. Yeah. And I understand that Iverson's shorter and obviously has physical limitations, but Gervin's 25 points per night on 56% true shooting. Iverson is... Did I say Iverson twice? No. Did I say, I say Gervin the first time? Okay. Yeah. Iverson is 26.7 points per game on 51% true shooting. All right. All right. So I'll take Gervin. Yeah, let's do it, man. All right. George Gervin climbing the ranks. All right. Well, there's only two other guys that I think have an argument to be top 50 players from the shooting guard position. It's a it's a shallow position. It really is. And, and those two guys for me are Clyde Drexler and Tracy McGrady. Whoa, Tracy McGrady. Okay. Yeah. I have Clyde, but I had Hal Greer after that. Okay. So can we agree on Clyde at seven? Absolutely. I think I think that's kind of the cutoff. There's there's tiers of this, and Clyde's kind of in his own tier. I wouldn't argue him above Iverson, but I think he's much better than Hal Greer. All right, and like let's just talk about Drexler for a minute because if you're listening to this, it's not just fun to hear us list. It's like you gotta hear the conversation. And Drexler leads a team to two NBA Finals, and then is a driving force and a very important reason to why the Rockets win the second finals in 95. Absolutely. He's a fantastic scorer. And something underrated about, about Drexler is he really improves his three-point shooting throughout his career. He starts off as someone that just kind of gets to the basket. And he's playing in a league that had only been shooting threes for some time, for a few years at that point. By the end of his career, he is a great three-point shooter. Expands his expands, expands his game. Yeah. I, I, went, I want to pull up the box scores for that uh, 95 run. Because Drexler is phenomenal in closeout games, which like the Rockets came so close to getting eliminated. Like first round, it goes to an elimination game. This is best of five series back then. Uh, and Drexler has a 31.10 rebound game. Hakeem uh, also has a great game, 33 and 10. Um, but like they win by four points. Yeah, he's crucial. They, they win the fourth quarter by 11 and they win by four. Like Clyde, Clyde is huge in that game. Um, in game, game seven of the second round series, they win this game by one point. Clyde has twenty nine points, eight rebounds, uh, eleven for nineteen from the floor. Like that, that second championship, you know, it, it, Hakeem also has twenty nine, eleven rebounds, but ten of twenty one. So like they're neck and neck. That second championship to get to the finals, Drexler just has such a high level of play. It's really closer to a one A one B situation than anyone typically recognizes. I'm I'm all for Hal Greer at number eight, though. Okay, talk talk to me about it. All right, Hal Greer played from age twenty two to age thirty six. He was an All Star from age twenty four to thirty three. That is ten straight, seven All NBA teams, um, all second team because he was behind West and Oscar. Understandably, when he retired, he was the all time leader in games played in both top 10 and top 10 in points and in field goals made. But his contributions to Philadelphia are just huge, even Syracuse before that. We think about Wilt in 1967. He leads that team in scoring. And in the playoffs, he's he, 20, 27 and a half points per game. Yeah, he's incredible. He leads them in all three rounds. 
that that's something to really consider. And I know the teammates around him are great. You're looking at sustained, just really sustained dominance at the shooting guard position. He's the best shooting guard from this era. He's behind two guards in the LNB voting, but they're both point guards. How Greer is the best shooting guard of the 60s. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an incredibly impressive resume. Um, and most of it happens before the merger split. Um, I, I have him right behind Tracy McGrady, so I don't have too much to to detract from him. Um, and my really only points for McGrady is that McGrady's just better at basketball. <laughs> that's, that's the whole McGrady argument. He's extremely talented. He's extremely talented. Also seven-time All-Star, seven-time All-NBA. Um and like, here's some of the guys that he made all NBA first team over Tracy McGrady. Cause he makes it as both a forward and a, and a guard. Um, so he makes it over Gary Payton, Ray Allen, Kevin Garnett, Chris Weber, Jason Kidd, Allen Iverson. Like it's, he's very it's good. A good list of guys that he makes it over. Um, and this is going to be a tough one because I'm, you're, you're like locked in to crowd career. Yeah. Completely. I, my issue, I, I'm. This is going to be our toughest battle because I'm not that high on Tracy McGrady, and I understand he's done all that. He's he's a few spots down. I still have. I, I made a video, Nate, called Ray Allen is better than Tracy McGrady. Hey, you've made lots of videos where you're wrong. It's okay. <laughs> it is okay. And I'd be willing to defend that again. I feel like I and and how about can, can we? Okay, how is well, how Greer at eight? Are we accepting it? So I want to I want to talk about Tracy McGrady. Please do. Because like, how good do you have to be to carry a team consistently, consistently to the first round of the playoffs? Pretty good. You have to be really good, especially when that team is just garbage. So 03, the year before the Pistons won the championship, Tracy McGrady takes them to seven games. McGrady averages 31.7 points per game, 6.7 rebounds, 4.7 assists, pushes the team to seven games. Do you want to know who the other starters were on that team? I have no idea. Rookie Drew Gooden. All right, I think I think we're good. I think <laughs> I think you've made your point. <laughs> Jacques Vaughn. Jeez, man. Andrew DeCleric and Gordon Girick. What is it? The Euroleague team? They sneak in. They sneak in. Uh, I wish I could think of a single Euroleague team right now. Olympiacos thing. That's one. Yeah, this team is just garbage. Just absolute garbage of players that should not be in the NBA. And like McGrady gets them to go seven games with the Pistons. McGrady, McGrady has had some of the worst, like we should be talking about Tracy McGrady closer to the Kobe Bryant conversation um, because he is arguably as good of a defender, as good of a scorer, a better passer. He never had the health. His, his health is his limiting factor in my mind, um, and the health of his teammates. This team was supposed to be McGrady and Grant Hill. When he goes to Houston, that team is supposed to be McGrady and Yao Ming. They never got to be together. And I can't I can't quite fault McGrady for that. I've made videos saying similar essentially where McGrady is. To be clear, Tracy McGrady, while I'm lower on him than you, I think he was still like my 65th best player. It sounds like we're miles apart, but I think we're, we're closer in practice I'm going to push back and say that he was not as good of a scorer as Kobe and not as good of a defender either. I think he is a step down in that sense. In terms of true shooting added and, and field goal percentage added, it's the same. He was above average just four seasons. One, 2001 to 2001 to 2004. 
my friend, don't look at Kobe's. And that, but Kobe's is better. But Kobe's is better because Kobe. It's not great. But it's better. <laughs> but it is better. It's, it's not Kobe great. Plays, Kobe plays over half of his seasons above average in focal percentage, and all but three of his seasons above average in true shooting. That's better than that. Is better than Tracy McGrady. McGrady's volume is just absurd. And if anything, he is a high volume, average to below average efficiency score, which is still very hard to do extremely hard to do if you give the average person tracy mcgrady's workload and the teammates are, of gordon garrett and andrew declare like <laughs> what are the double it's triple teams worse. looking like it's a lot worse um that's kind of my argument is he's not as good as kobe don't don't tell me that all right all right we can i i will settle for him being right behind hal greer um but i think i just think talent wise the rest of the guys on this list are not in the same conversation as Tracy McGrady. Like there is a definitive sharp cliff edge type of drop off between what McGrady brought to the floor and what everyone else in the shooting guard conversation brought okay. to the floor. Okay. I, I will, I'm not gonna, I'm okay with it. Um, we can put T-Mac at nine, but can I go over very quickly why I had Ray Allen above him? Sure. It's just some stats. So McGrady his prime, essentially, the seven all-star seasons, seven seven all-NBA seasons. In that stretch, he's averaging 27 points, five and a half assists, and six and a half rebounds on, where is it, 47% effective field goal percentage. So hold those numbers in your head. Wait, wait, can we do true shooting instead? Yeah, but it's a pain. <laughs> yeah, one second. All right, 21, 27. Well, so the, the big difference is effective only is uh, twos and threes. True shooting yeah. is going to be free throws and getting to the line is a bigger part of Tracy McGrady's game than is Ray Allen's. Um, if we're going to cross compare the two of them, I want Probably the fine. one that's going to favor my guy. Are you writing this down? No, not at all. Okay. Just, okay. Just, just making sure we're at uh, 52% true shooting. Okay. In Ray Allen's best years, best seven seasons, if my computer would cooperate even for half a second, oh my Lord. 2001, 2007, he's 23 and a half points, four assists, 4.7 boards on 57% true shooting. It's not that much worse. It's a, it's, I think it's four points, a board and an assist for 5% better true shooting. And better but defense. The, and better defense, give or take. <laughs> but the difference is Ray Allen plays in four seasons before that that are really good. And I don't want to. Do I have mm-hmm. to? Do I have to? Do I have to do the same thing? I I, I can send you the video. Um, and and T Mac essentially does not. And then the seasons after that, T Mac isn't very good. But Ray Allen is. He plays another like eight hundred games. Not actually, but um, at that clip. Yeah, Ray Allen is a great third, fourth piece. Yeah. If Tracy ever got to be a third or fourth piece, it'd be like, great. It's. <sighs> This is the difference of number one guys versus number three guys. The argument essentially is Ray Allen is just a little bit worse. Kind of. The stats aren't that crazy um, during their primes, but just much, much better before that and after that. So when we're looking at combined point rebound assists, uh, uh, you know, with doing some weighting to make assists more valuable, rebounds a little bit less, Tracy McGrady has the 37th highest peak mm-hmm. single season. Ray Allen has the 204th highest peak. In a three-year stretch, Trace McGrady is 48th, Ray Allen's 175th. You see the gap is starting to narrow the yeah. longer we go. Um, Five-year McGrady is at 43, Ray is at 137. If we look at 10-year, McGrady falls back to 48. Allen is up to 93. If we look at career, it flips. 
um, and career, I use totals. Those are that point um, because there is value to guys continuing to stick around, even if they're at a diminished rate. I don't want that to hurt them. Um, so 10 years, the longest I use averages, everything else is totals. And at that point, it flips and Ray Allen goes 47 and McGrady is 89. I had totally understand. We talked earlier that we like the guys who had the grip on the NBA for a little bit longer. I, I personally think at that point, Ray Allen, uh, just, just to read this out, Allen for his career, 19 points, 4.1 boards, 3.4 assists on... 58% true shooting, and McGrady is 19.5 points, 4.5 assists, 5.5 boards on 51% true shooting. It's it's a little bit, the production's higher, the efficiency's worse, and that's kind of where we're at. Yeah. So, but I do think we both at least have Ray Allen at 10. Sam Jones. Sam Jones is your 11. Now I have Sam Jones over Ray Allen. Oh, really? You had Sam Jones over Ray Allen? Yeah, I did. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm intrigued because Sam Jones is one of the best defensive guards. And he's still a guy that can drop 40 in a finals game. Which he has. Which which he has. Which he has. I don't hate it. When he really starts playing big minutes in 1962, they start starting games, really. They they put more responsibility on him. In the playoffs from 62 to 69, 22 22 and a half points, five boards, two and a half assists on 54% shooting. 1966... Sorry, 1965 in the playoffs, 12 games, 41 minutes a game, 28 and a half points per game. He is their leading scorer for essentially that, that that whole duration. It's Sam Jones leading the offense and it's Russell leading the defense. And they wins 10 championships, although for three of them, he's not it's just kind of there. Yeah, it's it, he's also barely the best offensive player. Like it, it's a pretty well distributed offense. That's true. Like it, it's a lot of guys, and really the offense matters a lot less because that's it's a running gun team. Whoever's out on the break and gets left open um, is going to get that layup and get that transition basket because they. I mean, the whole pace of the league at that point is just so fast. I, I care a lot more about his defense. Actually, I, I still lean Ray Allen because Ray Allen as a number one was a pretty decent number one. Um, but I, I could. I, I'm I'm willing to take Sam Jones. I think that's a I think that's a close enough debate. I'm with it. I love it. I, I think Jones is Jones is part of the Celtics dynasty more so than just his production. His ability to hit clutch shots and have big games is really what kept the Celtics dynasty going for longer than any sports dynasty ever should have. Because in re- if you simulate the Celtics dynasty a hundred times, they win eleven championships, probably just like twice. It takes huge games from Russell and Sam Jones and John Havlicek and Tommy Heinsohn. Almost an improbable um, improbable amount of big game clutchness from those guys. And Sam Jones is just a huge part of that. I know I told you this story, but I don't remember if we were recording or not. So I don't know if it's going to appear on a podcast. Um, but I, I had a guy's trip a few weeks ago. I went, we played golf, then we did our fantasy football um, like raffle to see who would get the first pick. Uh, and then they played beer pong. And two of my buddies, Joel and Owen, held a beer pong table for like three hours, which is more than I ever care to play beer pong. But they held this table, and it's not like they weren't close games. I got them down to last cup like 10 times. And then in- inevitably, they would both hit the same cup, and then they'd get the balls back, and then they'd hit it again. And it just was like time and time again. And you're like, one of these times this has to flip. One of these times I just have to get lucky and hit that last cup before they can do this. And that's kind of how the Celtics run in the 60s was. It's just like these weren't incredibly dominant runs. There were a lot of game sevens in there and they win. 
it's it's wild. I think it's kind of a mistake people make when thinking about the Celtics is they assume that the Celtics were just this impossible force that couldn't be stopped and everyone was just at their mercy and Will Chamberlain is just under the foot of the Celtics dynasty. But they're just as good as everyone else. There's really only a few years like 1962 where the Celtics are just by far the best team. Like This team's going to win the title. Most of the time they are playing a team in the finals, in the playoffs, that's just as good as them. And they're beating those guys. And it takes Sam Jones being amazing. Are we putting McGrady after Hal Greer, then Ray Allen, then Sam Jones? Are we going? No, sorry. Greer, T Mac, Jones, Ray Allen. I'm fine with that. Sounds good. Let me write it down. There is a guy that's been dropping on my list, but I haven't really heard a case that I think he's better than yet. Um, but I'm willing to introduce him into the conversation now uh, for the 12th spot. Please do. I just want to say we're at 12 guys deep. And I'm getting to the back end of guys that I would consider in a top 100 ranking. Yeah, me too. The shooting guard class versus the point guard class is really slim. But the guy who I want to bring up now is David Thompson. You brought this up last week. I tried to look into it. I tried to find the David Thompson lore that would make up for his lack of longevity. And I just couldn't find it. Yeah, he does have two extremely impressive first team NBAs right after the merger. It's really the... That's basically it. It's the season before the merger and then the three next years where he is just phenomenal. We're talking we're talking 25.8 points per game, pretty efficient in scoring, um, you know, like five rebounds, four assists. Um, this, this is one of the guys that Michael Jordan modeled his game after. Uh, this is a guy that was a plus 10 on offense or a plus 10, you know, net rating for these four years. Um, he was he was really good. He does have a shorter career because of some injuries. But I think during those four years, if you were trying to list the top 10 players in the league, he gets a mention. And I think that's worth something. It's so fast, though. We're getting we're like we're putting we're, pu- we're really pushing because we had Penny Hardaway 23rd in the point guards list. I think it says more, more about the position than it does the guy. Yeah, it's a pretty similar case. And at that point, I had David Thompson, not to spoil it, but I had David Thompson one spot above Manu. That's kind of where the tracks cross for me. There is guy who is really good for a long time and a bigger part of something great equals one of the guys that was one of the best players in the league for three, four years. Okay. So the three, four years is just not long enough in your your mind. Not to be this high, because there are guys in here that have great stretches, first team all NBA appearances, I think. Oh, I won't push it that far. <laughs> it's It's getting real slim pickings. Yeah. I do have someone. We won't we won't uh, bury ourselves too far in any of these because it's so slim. I have someone who has made first team All NBAs. Four of them, in fact. Shooting guard with four. Phil Sharman. That's right. Four time champ. Eight time All Star. All Star Game MVP. I know you love those. You love them. You love the All Star Game MVP. I actually really do love All Star Game MVPs. That's what I'm saying. Someone who is both an ABA and an NBA champion as a coach. Did you know that? Yeah, because he coached the Lakers. He was the the steal, and there was a lot of animosity towards him as a Lakers coach initially because of his Celtics ties. He was an ABL champion. Yeah, that that's not a good league. <laughs> just, they're just looking at it. He was the ABA coach of the year. That's interesting. He was the ABA coach of the year and then the NBA coach of the year right after. Hmm. If we go back and look at basketball at the time, there was kind of three leagues, um, and the ABL kind of got decimated. They were a really good league prior to World War II, I want to say, if memory serves right. Um, and then World War II happened, and the league just really faltered. Um, but this would be like teams that the BAA and the early NBA would do like 
preseason matchups against, like in the same way that we now do matchups against Euro League. Um, and, and like, so the ABL, it, it's just an interesting tangent league, but it's it's not on the level of the BAA or the NBL, which emerged to form the NBA. He invented this shoot around before in the mornings. It's what it says in his Wikipedia. He invented the morning shoot around as a way to yeah. burn off nervous energy. Tell me he's not, where, where are we at? The 12th best shooting guard ever. Eh. Over David Thompson. We have rings. We have the first two NBAs. I'm trying to trying to figure out how to articulate this, but there can only be so many good Celtics. And, and to be fair, he's he's out pretty early in the Celtics run. He's only there for the first four championships, um, but he's probably the third best player on those four championships. When he leaves, who replaces him? Sam Jones. Sam Jones, yeah. Does a better job, arguably. Yeah. Well, he does, given where we have him. You know, I, I think the thing about Bill Sharman is Bill Sharman was considered a really good shooter for his era. Um, and I see what you're trying to do is you're trying to position me to nominating Reggie Miller. <laughs> it's coming. It's, to be fair, I had Reggie two spots behind David Thompson. Um, and Reggie's kind of my like, I got one guy behind Reggie. That's my cutoff for top 100. Bill Sharman was at 16 as my like, you know, we can have him on here to have this discussion. But pretty much outside of these guys, like the only other guys I have in the shooting guard conversation here are Vince Carter, Reggie Miller, Sidney Moncrief. Okay, I had Reggie Miller, Sidney Moncrief, and Charmin. And I'm totally cool kicking Charmin out as more of a fringe top 100 guy. All right, all right. How do you feel about Vince Carter over Reggie Miller? Horrible. Why? I feel awful. I feel awful about it. Why? I feel really... Vince Carter made two LNBA teams and won three playoff series when he was a star. I don't want to hear it. Hate to tell you this. Reggie Miller was running a co-equal offense with Rick Smits. Yeah, but they were really good. <laughs> they was really effective. It's a co-equal off. Yeah, that's because they had really good players at every position. And this is what the problem with NBA history is. They latch onto one guy and then try to conflate that that guy is on the level of Jordan. Like there are some teams <laughs> where the, the star player is like worth 50% of the team's value. Like just, just thinking about, you know, hey, if we're dividing up who who is responsible for the, the Bulls championships, like Jordan's worth like 50%, Pippen's worth 30%. Grant and Rodman are like 20% and the rest of the other guys are like 10%. Like, like just, just bear with me here of like, like Jordan's a 50% basically. Mm-hmm. Um, if we look at the Pacers, they played like four all-stars or close to it. You know, um, Rick Smith's Reggie Miller. Uh, they always had a really good power forward, whether it was um, Davis or I forget who else they had. Um, and then, uh, Mark Davis, their their point guard. Like, or why? It's not Mark Davis. Why? Why am I blanking on names here? Help me out. Uh, Mark Price. No, wait. Mark Jackson. Mark Jackson. Thank you. There you go. <laughs> like, this was a team of four really high, like we've we've just been talking about Cleveland. Cleveland doesn't have a top fifteen guy, but they could have four top thirty guys next season. And I think that's a, a lot closer to what um what the Pacers were like is where they had you know. One guy who's maybe a top 20 guy, and that's that's iffy. Miller, throughout the, most of his career, he's somewhere between 20 and 30 in the league standings. Just, you know, he's a sometimes all-star. He's very rarely all-NBA. Um, that's that's his position. He's, he's somewhere in there. Um, and it's not like this was a good era for shooting guards. You have Michael Jordan, and then it's it's Mitch Richmond. Mars essentially. My, I'm going to push back just slightly. I agree with everything you're saying. But Vince Carter is not the guy to to 
to lay claim into because I don't think he has that either. He's a seven-time All-Star. You could argue part of that is because he is extremely popular, two-time All-NBA player. He has never been higher than 10th. He's an eight-time All-Star, excuse me. He has never been higher than 10th in MVP vote. He was 10th in 2000. That's it. That's as far as we're getting. And the Nets made the finals before him. Not, not, I don't hold that necessarily against him, but when I was a kid, I thought that Vince Carter got traded to the Nets and then they made the finals. But as a fully matured adult, I realize now that they did not make the finals with Vince Carter. And he tricked me with his high-flying dunks. Reggie Miller's best MVP finish was 13th. So, But it's still not Vince Carter. <laughs> It's it's Carter's not not the option here. Well, I think that's just what we're saying is this is just such a bad, I mean, not bad. It's just like such a lack of depth and position that, you know, we were going 22 deep with guys that could fill out the 80 through 100 spot in point guards. And now we are at like struggling to figure out number 12 (laughs) guards. Let's, okay. The one name that I think we can agree on for number 12 is Sidney Moncrief. How do you feel? I actually had Miller above him. You did. Well, what do we do? What are we? What are we doing here, Nate? Wait, wait what order do you have? <laughs> uh, so my order at this point is David Thompson because I feel like he's the only guy in this that can ever lay claim to being a top five, top ten player in the league. Uh, then Vince Carter, then Reggie Miller, then Sidney Moncrief, Bill Sharman, and just for funsies, Gail Goodrich. Okay. I did go all the way and rank out to twenty six, um, but. At that point, we're talking Walter Davis. So I think I think we Which shouldn't good. go that deep. Suns legend. Moncrief, 1983, all-NBA first team, defensive player of the year. There's something to that. There's value in that. Yeah, yeah, there, there's some value. Four-time all-defensive first team. I, I think... I think given, especially given the Bucks' success, and the Bucks were a pretty good team with with all those guys, Terry Cummings and Ricky Pierce and other guys I'm forgetting, Paul Silas. Marquise Johnson. Yeah, it's a good one. Can we go Moncrief then Thompson? I'll do you one better. Okay. We can go, and I'll accept this, Moncrief, Miller, Thompson, Whoa. Carter. And it's Carter. God. <laughs> He's had it th- I had I had Manu above him. I knew Manu was gonna be a sticking point. And Manu's a player that I absolutely love. Like I was a floppy haired lefty. Like, I mean, I still am a lefty. I'm now balding, so I guess I'm still like Manu in that regards. I'm a diehard Lakers fan, but Manu was always a player that I could see myself in and like wanted to be like. But I was really struggling to try to find a time in Manu's career where Manu hit some of these levels um, because Manu Manu preferred to be a sixth man. Um, and Manu only won one sixth man of the year award, which I think is just just wild to say like, hey, even like that's a low bar is to be the sixth man of the year. And Manu couldn't even cross that more than once. Um, now, his 05 season his 06 season and his 11 season are all as a starter, but it's it's a pretty low-grade starter. You know, he's getting like 30 minutes a night, averaging like 19 points per game. But but so I, I did a lot of dating, and I tried to find Manu's best 10-game stretch, and I think I found it in 2008. Wow, you did a lot of digging. Oh my God. I did. I really like Manu. Manu is is really good um, as, a, as a sixth man. So... I submit to you this 10-game stretch for Manu Ginobili from February 8th, 2008 to March 1st, 2008. Manu averages 27.3 points, 5.8 assists, 5.8 rebounds on 52.7% field goal percentage. 27, 6, and 6, basically. It's pretty good. That is amazing. That is a great stretch. If he averages that for a season, we're in an entirely different conversation. The Spurs go 9-1 and one during that stretch. That's good stretch, right? That's, Absolutely. that's like, that's 
that's what you want to have more of. If we're trying to talk about how this guy should be in a top 100 conversation, I need more of those stretches. Um, meanwhile, we can look at another 10 game stretch. That same season, that same season, he has a 10 game stretch where he averages 15.6, 3.8 assists, 3.8 rebounds, and the Spurs also go nine and one. <laughs> I I totally understand. I think I have I hold value in dynasties and being a part of something greater and at some point Manu being able to be that for the Spurs because there he is the winningest player of all time that's true I think 70% of his games he won at least by percentage not in total and that's important because I don't I think Carter's Carter Vince Carter has the most losses ever that's kind of the difference of what I what I'm what I'm showing here is you have a player who's a smaller part of something much greater and a, a player who's albeit great but clearly isn't isn't as impactful and maybe he is as impactful i don't know well, i lost my train of thought so w- carter can't generate wins on his own um but what i was trying to show with that that manu point is neither really does manu manu has the best stretch of his career and the spurs go nine and one manu has the worst stretch of the season and the spurs go nine and one uh the 07 playoffs they sweep the Cavs. Manu has a game three where he goes 0 for 7 and has three points for in the whole whole game, all free throws. It's just a horrendous game. And the Spurs still win. I Manu is in the right place. Yeah. I think we're running into expectations deriving our how we feel about it. Manu it come, comes off the bench. If he can get you 20 points, that's incredible. And you're winning that game. Vince Carter starts, plays 40 minutes. If he drops 20 points, it's disappointing and you lose. Mm-hmm. And I guess that kind of brings us back to what their roles were. Yeah, I mean, Carter, the farthest Carter makes in the playoffs as a lead guy is Game 7 against the 76ers in 2001. Um, and he has a horrendous Game 7 and the, and the Raptors lose. But we at least saw him push the finals team, the, the you know an Eastern Conference finals team, as the best player. And we never saw Manu, we never really even saw Manu be the second best guy on a team. We saw Manu be a lot of the third best, where if he has a great game, that's awesome. The Spurs, you know, win easier. If he has a bad game, the Spurs win and it's tough. Like, it's just, you know, that's that's a little bit of my knock on him. That's a little bit of my knock like, on Bill Sharman. Is there just, their team is going to win with or without them, or they're like the third, fourth most important guys on their team. And that's, you know, we don't, have, I don't think either of us is Clay Thompson close to this, but like that's, that's a similar knock they have on Clay. That's who I wanted to bring up next. Um, he's not the next guy. And in fact, I heard, I had Earl Monroe one spot ahead of him. But what if we, if I ever post this, if we ever post this list, that's going to be brought up. We're going to get ripped to shreds, Nate. We're going <laughs> to get be- absolutely vilified, just crucified on the TikTok stage. People think Clay Thompson's. But they'd argue that he's probably around the Clyde Drexler level. I'm not joking. That's what the average NBA fan will tell you. That's fine. Is that that's not fine? <laughs> that's no, I, not fine. I mean, like that's that's fine. Other people can have that that thought and that you know. I spent like 40 hours this summer revamping this matrix and putting in all these different data points, so that way if someone says to me. Clay Thompson's here. I can be like, no, Clay Thompson's not. Like, I'm I'm very low on Reggie Miller because Reggie Miller just doesn't have that great of a peak. Like, I'm gonna read you some of the guys that get named All NBA teams over Reggie Miller. It's not a good list. Um, all right, Mark Price, Mark Price, Drazen Petrovic, Mark Price, Latrell Sprewell. Oh God, <laughs> Mitch oh, Richmond, no. Mitch Richmond, uh, Penny Hardaway, Penny Hardaway. Mitch Richmond, 
Um, I'm surprised you didn't bring up Richmond yet. So I do really like Richmond. Um, I also think that Richmond got set up for a lot of his stuff. Um, and, and like, once again, it's easier to be the third option. Um, you know, Miller Miller is at least the first option. Richmond does have a higher production, um, but he also has an elite point guard or that's setting him up for it. I Richmond's a little bit further back to me, um, but really Reggie Miller in the Matrix came in at 103rd. 103 that's that's fine i i like that placement and just it's kind of like hey how how much further down do we want to go do we really care about the two guard that just scores dude you gotta talk to that one guy i just i have to make this happen <laughs> i don't remember his name but every time we mention him it's like there is a dude out there who thinks reggie's the 30th best player of all time and like him and nate just need to get drinks or something and like will they like will they become friends will they kill each other will they be lovers what is this timeline handling what does this timeline bring <laughs> i'm i'm happy to discuss basketball with anyone yeah but i, I mean just to get us back to our purpose here uh, I'm going to reread the shooting guard rankings that we've got so far. Uh, Jordan okay. 1, Kobe 2, Wade 3, Harden 4, Gervin 5, Iverson 6, Drexler 7, Greer 8, Hertz, uh, McGrady 9, Sam Jones 10, Ray Allen 11, um, Sidney Moncrief 12, and I'm just going to put Miller down as 13, just so we can kind of keep things moving if if you're okay with Miller at 13. Sounds perfect. All right. I had him at, I think I had him at 12 originally, so I'm good. All right. So that leaves us with David Thompson, Vince Carter, Bill Sharman, Gail Goodrich, Earl Monroe, Mitch Richmond, and technically I have Paul Westfall in that cluster as well. Why no? Did you see Pete Maravich? And if not, why not? Yeah. Pete Maravich's most impressive thing in The Matrix is his awards. And when that's the most impro- impressive thing about you, I'm just not impressed actually technically his most impressive thing is his writer's ranking um and then his awards and then his actual statistical performance um you know i I said one of the most impressive things a guy can do is lead a team to the playoffs when he just has a garbage team and maravich doesn't even do that like okay i'm gonna bag on him too no he doesn't and lou hudson's better than him when the hawks are good and the hawks have these two insanely good centers whose name i forget but it's maravich jacking up shots and turning the ball over Hudson playing like solid basketball. And then they have two centers grabbing like 20 rebounds a game. That's why the team wins 45 games. If anything, I think they underperformed. Maravich is so lucky that they don't keep track of turnovers. No, they do. They do. The first year that they keep track of turnovers is 78 and he's averaging five a game. And six assists. If they had kept track of it throughout it, because people will fall in love with this flashy passing. There's an old timey video. I actually own it on VHS of him and Red Arback, like teaching fundamentals. And he's like, that's yeah, a great video. It's a great video. It's absolute garbage play that you should never try to do in the NBA. Like, it's just, <laughs> he also plays I, in my mind in one of the worst time periods, like that, that 71 to 76, where he's failing to make the playoffs. Like, you've got the split, you've got the NBA ABA split. There is no easier time. Because half of the best talent in basketball is in an entirely different league. And at that time, like the the NBA, ABA, people can go back and forth on which is the better league. Um, I, I'm of the mind of it's real close outside or like once you hit 1970, the 68, 69 season, the NBA is like a mile ahead, but that's fine. It's, you know, their first couple of years in the ABA. But Maravich plays in like a really easy time for basketball to be good and to like make the playoffs and to make all-star teams and all NBA teams. And he just still doesn't do it. 
it's so interesting because at this and like I think Sam Jones looking at it is the highest small part of something great player that I have. He's the third, second, third best player on the greatest dynasty in American sports history. But after you you get past that, you start seeing a mix of guys like, okay, smaller part of something good, or is he the star like Vince Carter? Maravich is like technically the star on his team. They're going anywhere. Vince Carter took his team in, in a pretty challenging era. Eh, God, I don't know if that's true. In an era that was harder than Maravich's to the Eastern Conference Finals, Game 7 against the, the team, uh, against the Sixers. Maravich is winning like 30 games. It's just the second round. Is it the second round? Yeah, it's who the second they, round. But it's one who, of the, the, who do the Sixers beat in the in the Eastern Conference Finals? The Milwaukee with Ray Allen. Oh, Ray Allen. Ray Allen. That was yeah. I mixed up um, my shooting guards. Um. Anyways, but that's really, kind of the point. It is if either if you're going to be a star in this range, take your team to the playoffs. If you're not, be a small part of something great. And Maravich is neither one of those. Yeah, and, and that's why David Thompson's so high for me in these rankings. Is like. David Thompson actually was a top five player. It's a brief moment, but like Vince Carter is not a top five player for any time. Can I offer one more name? Sure. Joe Dumars. Great defensive player. Yeah. Best player on the, the he's the best player on the 90 on the 93 Pistons, second team all NBA, and they win 40 games. That's something. It's better than Maravich. <laughs> yeah. I, I I'd like to tack him on as I could picture I could picture if I close my eyes our top one hundred and Joe Dumars is like the hundredth guy he's like number one hundred he'd be like the perfect nice round one hundred player I don't know I, I'm very low on Dumars are we saying he's better than Earl Monroe and Clay Thompson and Pete Maravich Earl Monroe no Pete Maravich no Clay Thompson I can consider okay I'll I will drop it I guess there's no there's no way I'm dragging you past those guys well I, I mean okay. like. I'm gonna be honest. Demar Derozan's name is not that far removed from where we're starting to get. <laughs> but all right, let's stop. Let's stop. We've gone too far. We've gone too far. Go back. I am comfortable <laughs> with a Sidney right. Moncrief, Reggie Miller, David Thompson, Vince Carter. I, I think. I think I'm in. Okay. Okay. So that that moves us past these guys, and I think this is like as far as anyone I would consider arguing in to the top 100. Um, I, I really looked hard at Reggie. Or not Reggie. I, I really looked hard at Manu because like I, I do really like Manu. But the case for Manu is almost 100% theoretical of how good he could have been on his own. Um, and, and like you can find those stretches for James Harden before he gets his own team. You can find those stretches for John Havlicek before he gets to be like a, a starter. I can't find those stretches for even peak Manu. Um, and, and the one thing that people might be able to point to and say is, well, he did with Argentina. And that's just a different conversation. That's, it's a different sport, almost entirely. It's the way the game is played. The court, I think, the court is a different, literally a different size. It is, and he had that one run um, where the U.S. sent a bunch of second-year players and a bad team, and Lamar Odom's arguably the second-best player on that team, and they catch us off guard in a single elimination game. Um, it's it's awesome. It's a cool moment, but I just can't get Manu up that high, and so. Um, how do you feel about Gail Goodrich? Like, is he just out of the conversation for you entirely or? Yeah, I'd say so. I, I love Mary. I, sorry. I love Gail Goodrich. I think people don't often don't realize that his role on the 72 Lakers was one of the greatest teams of all time. He leads as he went scoring. I had him as the last one. I had him below Mitch Richmond. I also have him. Um, no, I got, I got him two spots ahead. I've got Goodrich, Westfall, Richmond. Um, but I, I'm totally chill. Just stop at Bill Sharman at 16. I am in. So 
we had 22 point guards. We have 16 shooting guards in conversation for our eventual top 100. I can't wait. I can't wait till we start get we get to that. I think it's gonna be so much fun because think about that's like we have like it's like I don't know how to describe this. We'll have like a nomination from each position as we go. Yeah. Be like the next shooting guard up is George Gervin. Do you want him or do you want these guys? I think it's like, oh, what a beautiful way to make a top one hundred. Yeah, I I think it's a totally fair way to do things. Um, I am really interested to see because I, I just want to say I think center is gonna be by far the deepest position. I had twenty seven of them. Yeah, the Matrix also has 27 centers that finished in the top 100. Um, and, and I think that that's fair. That tracks with NBA history. Um, centers ha- has just been the most important position for the longest part of NBA history. Turns out you need top people to win basketball games. Yeah, cool. All right. I well, look forward to doing the rest of this with you. Yeah.